Well, praise the Lord again. It's so good to see everybody, and I'm so glad that everybody that's watching online, I want to welcome you. I love this day. Tell you why I love this day. There, there, there are certain movies that I'll watch over and over and over again, and my wife will say, why are you watching that again? And they, she said, it must be the 100th time, and I said, no, it's 127, because I know the ending, and I love it when the bad guy gets gets his head handed to him on the platter. Here you go. And this is the day, as Christians, that we celebrate the fact that our adversary lost. Not just lost, lost big. I, I want to go back to, to that, that first Easter. I want to talk to you today about the power of the resurrection the power of the resurrection. Now, I, I wonder, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about when Mary uh, Magdalene, when she, on that first Easter, can you imagine? She saw Christ crucified on Friday. They buried him Friday afternoon. He was in the grave all day Saturday, and on early, the first part of the week, on Sunday, Mary gets up early. And it's, it's a day not different from many other days that they experienced more than likely in, in the cool of the morning. It was in the mid-60s. It was going to be a warm day that day. And as Mary traversed that rocky path toward the tomb, she expected to find it with a stone rolled across its entrance. Perhaps she was mulling over in her mind how she was going to remove that stone and, and prepare the body of her friend, her Savior, Jesus. Mary assumed that Jesus' body would be there. For after all, she had seen them lay him there. And as she, as she made her way there, perhaps she envisioned encountering the body of Christ after the aftermath of his death. Preparing the body shedding tears, grieving alone. But as life sometimes gives us a, a change in direction, life did an about-face for Mary, and she was surprised to see that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. Now, you have to picture yourself, and I, I know I'm taking a little time, but I'm trying to build, that, that she, like we would, had immediately began to think the logical conclusions. Perhaps somebody has taken Jesus' body. We would have looked at that. I don't believe there's one person in here. I don't think there was one person beside, before Christ or even after Christ that if you had never heard of anybody being raised from the dead, that, that you would have looked at an empty tomb and said, wow, I think he rose from the dead. Mary came to the exact same conclusions that, that you and I would, that somebody must have removed his body. Perhaps it was the religious authorities. Perhaps it was one of his, the other followers, the, the apostles. But whatever she was thinking, she made her way back to the disciples and told them what she had encountered. The Bible says that, that Peter and one of the other disciples, John, ran to the tomb. And, and, and John got there early but waited. And when Peter got there, he went in. And then John followed and 
They looked inside to discover for themselves an empty tomb. They didn't know how to interpret what they saw. There was no body. There were the linen cloths and a folded napkin that had laid over the face of Jesus. There was no body. There was no Jesus. They were confused. They didn't understand. Even though Christ had told them, they didn't understand or comprehend or even remotely grasp that God had intervened in the affairs of man and the course of history for humanity was forever changed. That God had fulfilled his promise and the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world had died but rose again. The empty tomb is a fact. It's not a fairy tale. It's not a mythical story. It's not something you're, gonna, you're going to read in, in fairy tales. Other disciples, other followers of Jesus came and saw that the tomb was empty. Even the religious leaders knew the, t- the tomb was empty. And they contrived a story that the disciples had stolen the body during the weeks that followed that first Easter, Jesus appeared to over 500 people. The tomb was empty. And everybody knew Jesus had risen from the grave. You know what amazes me from that first Easter to now? the church has been forced to address skeptics that cannot admit, that cannot accept that Christ has truly conquered death. There are skeptics that come up with all kinds of explanations. Here's some, and these are true. I I couldn't make these up if I tried. They said that Jesus really didn't die. It was staged. like the Romans staged anything. I like this one. This is my favorite. A lookalike died in Jesus' place. That wasn't Hollywood. There was no actor that said, hey, I need my double to come in now. Of course, many would say, well, the disciples stole Jesus' body and hid it so they could make up this lie. And and the religious authorities stole the body. And and even today, there are, quote, revelations that that keep coming our way. The Jesus Papers and the Gospel of Judas, all debunked by, by theologians through history, but they are still trying to uncover a truth that doesn't exist, that Christ did not rise from the grave. Even Hollywood with the Da Vinci Code keeps trying to to cast doubt on Christ's resurrection to make it a, a, a fairy tale. And the real question that begs an answer is simply this. 
Why have people been so vehemently opposed to acknowledging the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? That is the one question that begs an answer. That's one question that, that today I would like to look at Scripture. Paul addressed this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul was talking to those that had come into the church and said, there is no resurrection of the dead, that nobody rises from the dead. And, and Paul addressed this in the first century. Let's look at 1 Corinthians 15, chapter, uh, verse 16 through 23. Paul addressing this issue, and he says, For if the dead are not raised... I love this because he, he, Paul is building his argument for the resurrection. And he uses a, a lot of if-thens. If, if Christ did not raise, or if there is not a resurrection, if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. Sounds logical, does it not? That if, if, if dead people don't rise from the grave, then Christ died he is not going to rise from the grave and if Christ has not been raised your faith is worthless and you're still in your sins and then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished let's look at that for a moment if Christ wasn't resurrected number one your faith is worthless it means nothing it doesn't matter that the belief that you have, it's misplaced, it's misjudged. It's kind of like believing in Santa Claus when you look in the drawer and you find the Santa Claus suit that your dad wears. Oh, the heartbreak. And the world looks at Christianity and says those poor, pitiful, misguided people. To deny the, re the resurrection is to deny Christ's authority over death. I'm going to say that again because I want it to sink in. To deny the resurrection is to deny that Christ has the authority over death. And there is no need to serve anyone that is just like us. Because we have no authority over death. And if Christ has no authority over death, why should I follow somebody that can't defeat death? Why should I follow somebody that's just like me? Paul goes on to say, not only is Christ, he, he, your faith is worthless, but that you're still in your sins. Because Christ didn't defeat death. Because Death is a result of sin. See, sin would still have a hold over us. He goes on to say that the dead uh, that have perished are gone. They're over. They're done with. That you'll never see them again. They're, they're, they're finished. Those that have died have perished. They have no hope. Once you go into the ground, you will not come back up. You are gone forever. This life, then, is all we have. Christ has no control over the afterlife, therefore neither do we. 
And he goes on to say that you are to be pitied for believing such foolishness. We would be the most pitiful people on earth. Christians today around the world are considered weak-minded, intellectually feeble people. We need a crutch to cope with life. And if Christ did not rise, then death is still the victor. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, then this is the reality. But let's go on. He said, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most pitied. But now, Christ has been raised from the dead. Look at that for a moment. Christ has been raised from the dead. For since, let's go ahead, for since by man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ will all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, and after that those who are Christ's at his coming. Paul begins to, to enunciate, he begins to illustrate that, that Christ did indeed rise from the grave. And because Christ rose, there is a resurrection from the dead. And that is our living hope. There is no other hope but through Christ and the resurrection from the dead. He said that because Christ has been read, uh, raised, the dead in Christ are not dead, they're asleep. They are asleep in Christ. That they have gone to be with the Lord, but the, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be ever with the Lord. I am here to tell you today, it does not matter what the world says. It doesn't matter how they say that Christians are feeble are weak-minded I know that I know that I know that my Redeemer lives and because he lives we live and because he lives he's coming back and when he comes back we're going to go with him I can't I can't emphasize that enough man I, I've been around this world longer than I like to admit when somebody asks my age I say it's none of your business um I really don't. I just say, what's yours? <laughs> I've lived long enough to realize if we only have hope in this life, whew, and there's a lot of good things in this world. Don't, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's a lot of good things in this world. But man, if this is all there is, but the scripture gives us hope. Christ rising from the dead. The scripture tells us that death came through one man, Adam. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore just as sin entered the world through one man. There was a time before death. There was a time when humanity didn't suffer death, that they were eternal, that they walked with God in the garden. I, 
I, I, every time I read that, it just fascinates me. It just, it's amazing to me that, that Adam and Eve would be able to walk around in the garden, take care of the garden, and then God himself, the creator of all things, would come down and have a conversation with them every single day. Oh, that's incredible. And they blew it. They sinned. And because sin, death. See, that's why humanity fights sin, or fights death rather so much, because we aren't really designed to die. The Bible says that the wages of sin are death. The wages of sin, what you earn from doing a, a, a job. You remember getting your first paycheck? And you look at it and you say, well, who's FICA? And why did they take all my money? Because Christ rose. The Bible says through one man came death and sin. But through another man, Christ Jesus became life. The dead in Christ are no longer dead. They are just sleeping. And there is hope beyond this life. Life comes through Christ and Christ alone. And this is the reason why many people want to disavow the resurrection. Because if you believe that Christ is the only one that rose from the grave, then Christ is the only one that has control and power over death. And he is the only one that can grant eternal life to anybody he wills. And, and in you believe that, then you must come to him and you must follow him. But there's a lot of people that don't want to follow him. Christ alone has conquered death. Buddha didn't. Confucius didn't. Muhammad didn't. They were mere mortals that needed a savior. But you and I have an understanding that Christ came. Christ died. Christ rose again. And he is alive today. And he's living in our hearts. He has pardoned our sins. He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. He conquered death. Are you ready for this? Through his perfection. Perfection. I want you to think about that for a moment. Philippians 2 said, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. What, what is Paul telling us in Philippians? That, that Christ became a man, that God became man, that Christ was fully God and fully man. And he could have, if he had chosen, taken his power and his authority and said, I am going to get rid of everything. But Christ came and he said, I am, I'm going to set aside all my regal royalty and I'm going to be born in this world and I'm going to defeat death. I'm going to defeat it not just with my power, but I'm going to defeat death with my moral virtue, with who I am. That's why he was tempted in all points as we are. And yet without sin it was his character that kept him from sinning 
It was who he is. He didn't have to defeat the devil with power. He defeated him with his own being, with his own character, because it's impossible for God to sin. And that same spirit that was in Christ is in us. And because he lives, we live. Scripture says, if that same spirit which dwelled in Christ dwells in you, it shall quicken. Quicken is a, it's not just alone. Quicken means to make alive. It'll quicken your mortal body. Your mortal body, this fleshly body, whether you're still in it or if it's in the ground, is going to be made alive. It's going to go from mortality to immortality because of Christ. Scripture tells us that he is the great, he is the first fruits. I love that. He's the first harvest. He's the first one that has risen from the grave. And we are the great harvest. Scripture tells us that there is coming a day. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, behold, I want to tell you a mystery. I'm going to ask our, our praise team to come back if they would. He said, I'm going to tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. He wasn't, Paul wasn't saying you're not all going to sleep because you have a little baby in the house. That word sleep simply means we're not all going to die. Physical death. But all of us will be changed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. In other words, as fast as it takes for you to blink your eye, the trumpet's going to sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we will be changed. Not maybe changed, not could be changed, but will be. It's immutable. It's what the scripture says. The trumpet's going to sound, and I'm going from perishable to imperishable. You're not getting it. I'm going to let it soak in for a moment. We're going from mortality to immortality. We're going from suffering and pain and age to perfection. We're going from this life into a life of beauty and perfection. We're going from a life where our, our carnal nature fights us to a life that our carnal nature agrees with us. We're going from a life that, that, we're struggle, that we struggle and we, and we try to do what we can to, to walk with Christ to one that everything we do will be pleasing to God. We're going from this life to the life to come. He rose from the grave and he is perfect and because his spirit lives in us when that trumpet sounds, you and I are going to go from this life to the next life. We are going to be changed and we will be able to live forever. Would you stand with me for a moment? I, I, want, I want to talk to you about one more thing. Just one more thing. And I'm not going to do the pastor thing and just one more minute and it'll be 15. This is a really quick one. The Bible says that the Spirit of Christ that you have in you, that the Spirit of God is the earnest of your inheritance. You know what an earnest is? Like earnest money? It's a down payment. It's a small portion. 
it's just a, a little bit of money to let you know that I'm really serious that a lot is coming. The Bible says that it doesn't matter how much of the Spirit of God that you have experienced in this life. It is the earnest. It's the down payment. It's the small amount of the presence of God that's going to be in you when he comes back. Do you realize that we have to have a new body that doesn't have a sinful nature? Because the body that we have right now, when God gives us our inheritance and we are completely filled with the presence of God, would consume this body because it couldn't handle how much of the presence of God that we're going to walk in and live in every single day. Come on, trumpet. The Lord made a way for us, all of us. He's the first fruits. The Bible says that He is the anchor of our soul. An anchor keeps a ship from moving around. He is in the heavens. That anchor that we have is already in the life to come. It anchors us in this life, and we're already connected to the life to come through the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ.